2: to the Total Soccer Show and our latest batch of listener question goodness. On today's show, we're asking which soccer coaches could lead NFL franchises. We're asking if the Saudi League is as sustainable as we once thought. And we're picking potential 2026 World Cup debutants who might go the distance. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend of mine. His first name's Taylor. His second name's Rocco. Hello, Taylor. You nailed it. Hello, buddy. How are you doing? <laughs> I did nail it. Thank you. Can I have a pat? <laughs> pat on the head, please.
1: <laughs> yes, pat on the head for you.
2: <laughs> thank you very much, Taylor. Also joining us to answer listener questions, it's Joseph Lowry, who is currently,
0: it's either sitting on a dog or dog sitting. Which one was it? It's its the second one, Ryan, although the chair I'm sitting on is very, very small with no back. So, I mean, if I like squint and sort of pretend that I can't feel it, maybe I i could be sitting on a dog. Really, I just want a pat from Taylor as well. Taylor, are you handing out pats? Can I please have one, please? Yay, yay.
2: Thank
0: Listen, thank he you. did but a pat. None
1: for Graham.
2: Oh. Aww. So Graham Rutherford joining us. Graham, how do you feel about your patless scenario right now?
1: I'm used to it by now, to be honest. It's the story It's only because Graham gets a, a nice rub on his muzzle. How about that? Whoa. <laughs> That's Good what bad. she said. Uh,
2: <laughs> We've got plenty of listener questions to get to in this episode. Before we do so, though, we need to inform you about our Patreon, if you're not aware already. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show is where we keep our bonus content. Uh, there's
3: videos up there. There's videos of
2: Graham buying bad shirts, which you can watch, one of which I don't like Excellent
3: very much. shirts. And I think most listeners would agree. Okay,
2: find out what that is at patreon.com slash totalsoccershow. Joe walking around in California talking about quizzes, Taylor sitting outdoors, and you get access to our Discord where you can see a picture of me as a 17-year-old holding a mobile phone. Graham, it's a good picture. Oh, we
3: got a pond. The memes, yeah, that exact meme has uh, had me laughing for the last... Couple days making fun of your insistence, Ryan, that pawns are, are working class. Also, the picture of you the memes are based on, I need more information on why you had to wear suits to school. Was that also a working class thing? I need an explanation on this. Does this sound working class? <laughs> no. It no. Just, that's a that's the Honestly, yeah. point.
2: <laughs> in, so in the UK, you wear a school uniform at like, virtually every school, right? When you get to the sixth form, at the last two years of high school, uh, my... School decided it would be really grown up if you dressed for the world of business. So instead of wearing a uniform, you got to wear a very what? cheap, a very cheap suit that cost Where fifty pounds you, on a High Street.
3: What school did you go to? The Jordan Belfort Academy. What was the school?
2: <laughs> I went to <laughs> Darford Grammar School, which was a uh, Mick Jagger school back in the day. Thank you very much. Of course it was. <laughs> it, was.
0: it was. I, I figured. Was I it figured Ryan, you were just wearing the suit so that you had a better chance at top boy, top top boy, or whatever That's it is. Right. <laughs> that that Whoa. felt like your ticket to, it, to the inside track. <laughs>
2: Indeed. Anyway, uh, there is that video, that uh, image to be found and much more on our Discord. It's where all the cool, keep- cool people are hanging out. Thank you very much if you do support us via our Patreon. You can also ask listener questions in there if you like. And TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions is where we are accepting these here questions, such as this one from Joey Jadlowski, who says... With the expanded field in the 2026 World Cup, there'll be multiple teams who'll be making their debut in the tournament. So which team has the best chance of making the deepest run in the 2026 World Cup and who'll be making their debut at that tournament uh graham so 48 teams in this world cup obviously 210 fifa nations so that's by my math 23 percent of all soccer countries are going to this world cup so nearly a quarter that's fun um who do we think is going to make a debut maybe a good run as a debutant uh, i could think of a few european nations scotland maybe have they done a world cup before
3: have they? We've been to plenty of World Cup Scotland, but it's uh, we, our performance there has been forgettable. So I'll forgive <laughs> you, Ryan. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I was thinking, in terms of there's uh, obviously we can go through confederations, but maybe like a Finland, someone like that could could make a run. What do we think?
3: I'm struggling with UEFA candidates to be honest, so I'll go straight to where I think there are there are a few. Uh, nominations. I don't know if this is recency bias shining through because we're watching a lot of Africa Cup of Nations right now, but I'm looking at CAF because there are some notable names in there who I've never qualified for a World Cup before. Um, Taylor's favourites, Cape Verde, are in there. I presume Taylor's going to take a victory lap on the uh, on the Afcon episode that we do this week. They're through to the last sixteen. They've been very good. Burkina Faso. They always make an impact to Afcon as well. They've they've never been to a World Cup either. So um, I'm, th- I'm looking at those two countries, maybe not so much Cape Verde, maybe I'm underestimating them, but Burkina Faso have real pedigree, they've made a good start to World Cup qualifying, so they might be a good shout. Cape Verde also have four points from their first two games in qualifying, but I think my answer is Mali. They have never yes. qualified for a World Cup before, they are in a World Cup qualifying group that I reckon they will finish top of, Ghana is the other big you team sure? in their group.
1: I don't know. Comoros coming for them, Madagascar coming for them, Central
3: Africa Republican Chad, <laughs> well, Graham. I don't know, I don't know. Don't, I think Comoros have six points out of six so <laughs> far, do don't they? They're <laughs> sitting they top do. of the group, yeah. But um, I think once that group pans out, uh, Mali will finish top, which is, uh, I believe, CAF qualification is always a little bit confusing, especially now that they've changed the format for 2026. But top spot goes through automatically, right? I've, I've yep. got that correct. Mm-hmm. So they avoid the playoffs. I think Mali's going to finish top of that group. You look through their squad, they have a good group of players who play in Europe's Big Five. Five leagues. There's only two players over the age of um, 30 in their AFCON squad, and they have been strong at this tournament so far. So yeah, I think Mali is my suggestion, not just for a team that could qualify for the first time, that could potentially also go on a run. Uh, I also have Mali, Joe, I'm guessing you've got some thoughts on them too. I just wanted
1: to echo what Graham said and add that with some teams, you have like one or two standout players that make you think, okay, if those players hit, hit form and then everybody else does okay, they might be able to make a run. They might be able to do something. To Graham's point with Mali, you have a lot of players both in their present team at AFCON, but also in their recent selections that are playing at a high standard in France, England and Germany. You've got four players uh in the pool for Red Bull Salzburg. So you've got a lot of uh, connectivity, a lot of connection, a lot of high level football being played at club level. I do think that kind of bleeds into the national team. And I think that is an excellent shout. Graham Ruffin.
2: Excellent shout, Graham. Pats for you, finally. It's come. It's been five minutes. Did you I get a stroke pats. in the
3: muzzle or whatever it was?
2: You already okay. got that. that Don't, Don't be greedy. Come
0: on. <laughs> I want another one. Leave some for the rest of us. All right. Joe, Joe where are you thinking uh, on, on this one? All right. I'm no longer comfortable with the hand motions that Taylor is making. Uh, my top <laughs> answer is Venezuela. Molly is also on my list, but looking towards the Americas, I have Venezuela on my list. They're the only Conmebol team to not qualify for a World Cup. That's crazy to me. Conmebol is very, very good. And this expanded format gives a country like Venezuela a much better chance than they've ever had to make it all the way to the World Cup. They're currently 50th in the FIFA rankings, which was the highest nation I could find. That I thought had a realistic chance of going to the World Cup. But it's not just the FIFA rankings, right? I say this every single time I bring them up. Always take them with a truck full of salt. But they do give you a general idea of the quality of different teams around the world. Venezuela are doing well in qualifying down in South America. They're currently fourth in the table. The top six teams in CONMEBOL automatically qualify for the World Cup. And the seventh team goes into that playoff system. They're sitting on nine points right now. Venezuela through six games. Ecuador... Getting Doc three points from stuff in the last World Cup qualifying cycle, player registration, drama, helps a lot because that that makes their path a little bit more difficult. And Venezuela have legit talent in this team. Now, I'm not going to come out and say on quality they're like a top five or top six team in Comable, But when you get a good start, you get a little hot in a, a relatively short, relatively you know, limited number of games, even though Comma qualifying is quite extensive. It's not like a full season's worth of soccer on the club side. They're like, there is some quality in this team as well. Yanhel Herrera, we've done multiple, well, we did a full episode talking about Girona and we talked about them seemingly every week. Yanhel Herrera is a huge part of that Girona team, a, a team that has taken Spain by storm this year. He is fantastic as a box-to-box number eight. Solomon Rondon scoring goals. Like it's not, it's not elite all the way around, but there are very, very good parts of this team. I think Venezuela have a real shot. I won't be shocked if they don't make it, but I wouldn't be shocked if they did either.
2: That's that's interesting, Joe. Obviously, Comoros six six places now and six and a half, I suppose. Yeah. So you've essentially got a sixty five percent chance of getting to the World Cup in Comoros. That's pretty good odds, isn't it?
0: Good chance. Yes, very very yeah. good chance. And and it's still not easy because of how good Bowl is. Like I would still rather qualify in in CONCACAF than Bowl and, and probably other maybe one or two other spots. But like Bowl is really really good. And Venezuela are fortunate that this expanded World Cup is now a thing. All right, Taylor.
2: Any new CONCACAF nations we envisage uh, at this World Cup?
1: Nope. No. Okay. <laughs> I mean, especially not. Especially when the uh, specification is new uh, countries to go. Because I think teams that have have gone previously and might go back could make a run or could do things. But I don't know if Curacao or Suriname or anyone like that are going to to make a run necessarily. Maybe down the line. I had two other uh, teams to mention. One would be from Afcon. I mean, with what they've done so far, Equatorial Guinea probably deserves a shout. They have the money, a ton of money, to continue to develop uh, the league and their program. They've topped their AFCON group ahead of Nigeria and Ivory Coast. Uh, they've got people scoring goals. They've got talent. Uh, they are second in Group H in qualifying behind Tunisia when it comes to the World Cup. But they've taken six points from two games, so they've basically won their opening two games. And it's a group with Tunisia, Namibia, Malawi, Liberia, and then Sao Tome and Principe. Principe, I don't know how to say that. I don't even know what that country is. Uh, so it does feel like they, at the very least, could finish second and go into a playoff. But I think they might well top that group uh, because Tunisia have not been particularly impressive. Uh, so we could see Equatorial Guinea uh, at least at a World Cup. And then that gives them the footing to make a run. It is tougher, I think, to see a team making a run out of UEFA just because UEFA qualifying is so brutal. Uh, but the only one that that jumped out to me would be Albania, who have qualified for Euro 2024. Uh, and they have lots of players playing in Serie A. They have lots of players playing in a high level. And then they also have some solid names in there. They've got Thomas Strakosha in goal. They've got uh, Hisai and Jim City Aslani uh, playing for Inter Milan, Ramadani, Bajrami, and then uh, Armando Broja playing for Chelsea, if he ever plays for Chelsea. Uh, so they have a good amount of talent, a good core, and I think if they're able to get out of UEFA qualifying, that's a team that could maybe spring a surprise at the World Cup.
0: Yeah, Taylor, can I ask a quick question? You mentioned Equatorial Guinea there on the financial mm-hmm. side. I am ignorant about this topic. Like, what, what is all of Equatorial Guinea's money and why are they spending it on soccer and I don't know anything about this? Oil, my friend. And they're not.
1: Uh, they, they, uh, <laughs> they have a lot of oil money. Uh, it was discovered there in the 90s, I believe. They've had a president, dictator, whatever you want to call him, uh, in charge, like since that time, his personal wealth is around 600 million. I think half of the country lives below the poverty line. But I think with that, there is expenditure into things that establish better branding, establish better international prestige for the country. And so there has been some money. Uh, they hosted AFCON not too long ago. They built stadiums. They've tried to, I think, establish a footballing infrastructure. And so I don't see that going away necessarily and i think you'll have more players uh with their historical connections to I believe spain i think they'll continue to pull in some players from there and have players go to la liga so i think they'll continue to improve i don't know if that's good enough to make a a run necessarily at the world cup but if we're talking about teams that could there's always a chance
3: yeah I'll i'll throw some uefa names into the hat that i don't I don't fully believe, but if we're looking for candidates, then potentially could be on the radar. So um, I agree with Albania. Uh, Taylor, they were on my list as well. Georgia are on an upward trajectory right now. They could still qualify for the Euros. Uh, they obviously have uh, Cavaradonna, but Scotland played them twice recently. I watched them at Hamden and I wasn't that impressed. Having said that, they went to Spain and gave Spain a, a, a decent match. So um, who knows? Maybe they just played poorly against Scotland. Luxembourg are in the Euros playoffs and are certainly much tougher to beat than has been the case in the past. But do I really believe they could make a run at a World Cup? Probably not. Ryan, you mentioned Finland. Obviously, a squad that has a good number of players playing in decent leagues, but their recent results in qualifying weren't great, so they might actually be underperforming their talent level. Maybe Kazakhstan, another candidate? They were pretty decent in Euros qualifying. Yeah, they beat Denmark, which was a big shock. Um, But again, it's kind of similar to Luxembourg did. Do I truly believe that a World Cup run is on the cards for them? Maybe they get to a World Cup. I still think that is a bit of a long shot. But making it out mm. of a group stage, Kazakhstan, I think that mm, that's maybe a little bit unrealistic.
1: I did way too much reading into Kazakh football uh, for answering this question, because I was trying to figure out which of the stands seems to have the best program, has the best stability. It does seem like it's Kazakhstan. And when you look at their team, they have some people playing abroad, but it's a lot of domestic-based players. I don't know if that is because there is a lot of money uh, in Kazakhstan in that league, uh, but either way, they're keeping players basically within the league. So you've got, I think, seven players playing for Astana. You've got three each for Tobal, uh, Oroskoi, and uh, uh, But those are your usual title contenders in the last few seasons. Astana has won the league twice, Tobal once, uh, Orizkoi, uh once as well. So you've got a lot of teams... That are like near the top of that division with a lot of players in there. So you can get that familiarity, that sort of commonality of players playing uh, familiarity with each other. And you can get teams that then are able to achieve more than the sum of their parts because they have so many reps together because they have that familiarity it doesn't always happen. But they were they were a team that I thought was potentially interesting because they do also seem like they can be a tricky opponent on their day.
2: There you are, listener. If you're wondering how thoroughly Taylor Rockwell researches your listener questions, he goes deep into the Kazakhstan League system to find out. Just I think Mali
1: is the answer, though. If we're we're saying a team that could actually get out of the group at the World Cup, I think I would say Mali and then Albania in, in that order for me.
2: Excellent stuff. Joey, thank you very much indeed for that question. We go now to Derek Light, who's proposing a fight. Mm. Is there a soccer war brewing lower down in the US soccer pyramid? USL and MLS Next Pro are both rapidly expanding, with USL planning on adding 12-plus teams between the championship and the League One in the next two years, and MLS Next Pro adding five in the same time frame. My Quick Count says Derek shows 10 markets that have at least one team from each organisation. Is this a coincidence or is there something more brewing in the lower tiers of US soccer? Joe, (coughs) interesting one, this. Um, We've got the third MLS Next Pro season. Wow, third now. Uh, That begins in a few weeks' time. We've got independent clubs joining. One not too far from me in High Point, North Carolina, Carolina Core joining as an independent team. Chattanooga FC, independent of a bigger team as well. It's, It's interesting because they're not competing products technically, but they are in terms of fandom, in terms of the markets they're reaching.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I would describe them completely as competing products in that it doesn't seem like we're going to see USL try to expand into one market, then MLS Next Pro follow them immediately. Now, that has happened. Chattanooga has a League One club and an MLS Next Pro club. Like, there is some of this, But there are only so many soccer teams you can have in any given area. And both of these entities want to put soccer teams in any given area. So uh, there is absolutely friction here. Every time I ask USL, however, if they're worried about MLS Next Pro, they seem to say no. Or at least they say that they're focused on what they're doing. So I asked former USL president Jake Edwards about this topic for Backfield last year. And he said, basically, the summary is more football is better. He's a British guy. So there you go. I asked current USL championship president Jeremy Alumba about the same topic. And he said, quote, uh, he said, our focus, quote, is on us and really trying to prove for the clubs in League One and then the championship and eventually the Super League. So, like, he wants to continue to focus internally, which is exactly what you say when you're not going to say anything, right? So I would be shocked if there wasn't some internal concern from the USL about what MLS Next Pro is doing. Jake Edwards told me uh, a year ago or so that they'd like to see both the championship and League One hit 34 to 36 teams. Maybe that target has changed, but right now, yes, there's expansion coming. Yes, this league will grow. Right now, League One is at 12 teams. Like, there's a lot of work to do from 12 to 34 and MLS Next Pro also very clearly wants to grow. North Carolina, Connecticut, Jacksonville, Cleveland, Chattanooga, like independent markets. We're not talking about Charlotte for North Carolina, right? It's a different North Carolina city. Like High point. High point. There we go. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, our North Carolina's very own Ryan Bailey. So yeah, these, these leagues want to extend into independent markets, and they can't enter all of the same markets. So there's absolutely friction. There's also an element here where there are different advantages to each league. And I think MLS Next Pro is starting to do things that maybe USL didn't expect. They probably didn't expect Next Pro to expand into so many independent markets so quickly. I also don't know that they expected MLS Next Pro to go about the expansion process quite in the way that they are. It costs $5 million, as far as I can tell, to acquire an expansion franchise in USL League One, like the rights to a team, not the stadium, not all those other expenses, but it costs $5 million to do that. And you have to travel pretty far to get to your games when there's only 12 teams in your league. That's expensive. And MLS Next Pro, it is much more regionalized because they have all of the MLS, basically all of the MLS 2 teams in their league, or any of them that exist. Some don't, don't have one to begin with, but they have more teams, which makes travel less expensive. And from what I understand, it also is cheaper to acquire the rights to an mls next pro expansion franchise. So there are advantages really to what next pro is doing if you're an owner trying to just provide uh, something to do in a town that has, you know, a decent size number of people and you want to try and, and make a little bit of money off of ticket revenue and other smart businessy kind of moves. Like next pro is starting to offer real value there. Or at least they're they're providing the idea that they can provide real value later on down the line. So yeah, there is tension here. I'd be shocked if there wasn't from USL. MLS probably doesn't care a whole lot about what USL is doing these days as evidenced by the whole US Open Cup debacle. But there is absolutely friction here. See, this is really interesting because
1: Joe, I, I, I almost completely disagree with you in that I think MLS is way more concerned about USL than they are willing to admit. I think USL has to give those statements because they don't want to tip their hand as saying, like, yes, we're really concerned about MLS. No, we don't like that. It establishes a rivalry. It establishes even more friction than might already exist. But my my feeling is more that MLS, I think, is recognizing that if they want to be the dominant league and not have to pay USL transfer fees and and deal with lower leagues, they have to themselves have lower league teams and have a lower league structure. Because I think... You can have the single top flight, but I think to some extent that eventually hurts MLS's brand, especially if USL actually does end up having multi-tiers and does have rel. and there's a lot of ifs in there as opposed to whens. But to me, MLS, I think, in trying to remove themselves from USL, not participating in USL League One anymore or USL Championship, but instead having their own league, I think is them trying to rest back lower league control a little bit. And I'm not sure it's going to work because I think fundamentally, I would rather see an independent team than I would rather see a reserve team or a two team, even if that team is better. What I always found when when we'd get Toronto 2 or New York Red Bull 2 coming to play the kickers is that you'd sometimes get decent players, but most of the time you'd get 16, 17, 18-year-olds coming in because that's who they could field on the day. And so you don't get a ton of consistency. You don't always get the best product as a result. So I think there's a world in which this is really good for MLS and that it allows them to develop young talent more consistently and bring it through. But I think also if you're talking about teams that are then competitive and draw crowds, those two teams never had good attendance that I ever saw. I mean, when Red Bull two, won USL league one, I think they had like 20 people in attendance. So I, I think whereas USL, it feels like they're trying to make it a more organic independent thing maybe that's my bias showing because the Richmond Kickers are in USL League One but to me it feels more like MLS seeing a little bit of what USL is doing and thinking we need to have some control in that too we got to find a way yeah. to make that happen
0: yeah I, I I agree with the end there Taylor I think I think we both are clearly aligned on that I, I guess I'm not quite understanding why is MLS feeling threatened by USL are you saying that they're feeling threatened about losing control of the game in the United States. And that's leading them to want to have more clubs in their general ecosystem. Like, I don't, I don't really see where USL is threatening MLS when USL can't pay, you know, more than six figures for a transfer fee and MLS is selling Tiago Almada's back and forth across mm-hmm. the Atlantic. Like, I'm not, I don't understand yeah. exactly what you mean. I think, I'm not talking about now. I'm talking about 10 or 20 years down the road,
1: where if USL continues to build out a structure where they have a ton of teams that are financially stable or relatively financially stable... And that you can then have multiple leagues, even if they are still listed as a second division league. I think there comes a time where, again, if they're able to get re- uh, promotion relegation in there, uh, you you do start to, I think, pull some interest. And you do have players who might want to stay with their local team because that team could get promoted and promoted. And suddenly you're playing in USL Championship in a in a small town. Like, I think that possibility creates interest. And I think the more lower league teams you have, the more money theoretically you're going to have coming in just by sheer volume, by sheer numbers, by sheer geography. I think you then have a more, not dominant, but at least a bit more say in how soccer is operating in the country. And you can demand a bigger seat at the table. And I think MLS by contrast recognizes that you can have your franchises that you have in your top league but it doesn't really connect you to areas where there aren't teams. It doesn't really connect you to grassroots football. It, it, it does sort of the opposite. It disconnects you from grassroots football. And I feel like this is them trying to have a way to connect on a local level, a more regional level, to, to have some appeal there just to keep that level of interest in cities where they don't necessarily have a franchise, but also don't want to see that area then become a USL territory, essentially. Yeah.
2: I think it's exactly that, Taylor. I think essentially what we're seeing now is a land grab at the moment between MLS and USL. As you say, USL has the potential to expand infinitely, whereas if MLS itself has a finite, a relatively finite amount of teams, this is a way for it to geographically expand and to make sure that in terms of the sheer amount of teams in the MLS yeah. umbrella, so to speak, then it can't be dwarfed by USL.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's entirely correct. I guess what I still don't understand is do we not feel like USL should be threatened by this? Like that's that sort of how I opened is, yeah, there's friction because USL has sort of been this organization that expands into markets that don't have an MLS team. They don't have to be small markets. Phoenix is a huge market. Like Las Vegas is a big market. You go across the eastern eastern you know, part of the United States as well. Surely USL is, is feeling threatened by this, Taylor, no? I, I don't think so. I really don't. Wow. I mean, maybe, okay. maybe I'm wrong,
1: Joe. You, you know more why, than I do. Why not, so like, I guess. they must Surely they must be because I don't think these teams are going to compete for for fan bases. I think I, we've seen teams in the past come into Richmond and and try to compete with the Kickers by even though they're lower a lower level, even though they're not at the same level, try to compete by having a more rowdy atmosphere, by engaging the fan base more by 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 talking trash and and engaging that way, and then they played each other in the US Open Cup and the Kickers destroyed them. And and I think there is always going to be amongst the American fan base a willingness to go for a team that is going to present you with a better form of soccer, a better game to watch, a better product. And I think what I was saying before is a lot of these teams, I don't feel like in MLS Next Pro, are going to pull in their own fans. Like, I don't know how many FC Cincinnati fans are going to see FC Cincinnati 2 games, but I would wager to guess that if they're playing in a stadium that has a 1,000 capacity, it's going to be fewer than the five or 6,000 that go to kickers games. So to me, it's more of a, it's not going to be as good of a product because it is youth players and young players and it's sort of experimental, developmental, I don't think that appeals to, to a broad fan base the way, hey, come see this team. And if they win, and again, this is 10 or 20 years or however many years, like, and if they win, maybe they get promoted. Like, I think that's always going to have more of a draw, more of an appeal. To me, this is MLS trying to insert themselves in a way that allows them to be more competitive. That, maybe yeah. I'm totally wrong, but that's how I keep seeing it.
2: I will say, anecdotally speaking, in the Charlotte market, Taylor, I know lots of fans who go to all the MLS Next Pro games because it's cheaper for a start. They, mm. If you've got a family of four, it's quite in impract- It's it's difficult to be able to go to all the MLS games to, to to feed everybody, get everybody tickets. You can all go and see reasonably good quality soccer at the MLS next pro franchise. Still have a good time. Still have the same. You're feeling you're under the same Charlotte FC umbrella, <sighs> watching and supporting that franchise, but uh, in in a more pure form, if that's fair to say. So there is that consideration as well.
1: <laughs> An MLS franchise's reserve team is the more pure form. Is well, it the is it the Independence or is it North Carolina FC that have problematic ownership? Independence, yeah. So I do I do also wonder if that's part of the Charlotte yep. situation. Absolutely, it could be. So uh, Graham, to bring you in on this one,
2: we're we're pitching this as a war at the moment, or was, mm. it's been framed as a war, but we could also argue that this is sort of a rising tide for you uh, for US soccer in general, and it's a good thing that both these te- uh, oh. leagues are expanding at the same time, and there is a, a scenario where they work in perfect harmony.
3: Yeah, I I don't know if I uh, envisaged the last part of what you said there, but I do agree that it is a good thing for American soccer to have this competition. American soccer is... Kind of unique in its situation of, you know, not having promotion relegation. I know there, there there are the divisions and USL is D2 and MLS Next Pro is D3. But as long as there's no mobility between those two divisions, you're always going to get these challenges. We saw it before with the NASL when they had the Cosmos and sort of tried to pretend they were taking on MLS for a period. And now it feels like MLS is just completely untouchable. And that battleground has just moved further down the down the pyramid. MLS Next Pro is really fascinating to me as obviously I've got an involvement in American soccer, but I'm a core, I'm still a you know a British, a European soccer fan. It's kind of an alien concept to me to have a league that is developmental in its purpose that you have a lot of these affiliations, which to me are feeder teams or sister teams to MLS clubs, and then have independent clubs coming into that ecosystem. I wonder how those, the fans that those, well, first of all, are those teams going to attract fans? And when they do attract fans or if they attract fans, how, how do those fans feel about being in that, that ecosystem? Would they rather be in something like USL, which feels a little bit more self-sustainable?
0: Yeah, I think the big question here that we're sort of dancing around because we don't know is what is the target market for each of these leagues? Like, do fans that go to MLS Next Pro games of independent clubs? Because Taylor, I think part of maybe, I guess my issues with your argument, it feels like you're comparing apples to oranges a little bit of talking about, you know, uh, Vancouver White you Whitecaps 2 and Next Pro. Same shape. They're both fruits. <laughs> and, both fruit. Come on. Like, like there, there are independent clubs in both. Like, we can compare apples to apples mm. here. We don't have to compare apples to oranges. Like, do the fans of the Carolina Core care that they're playing against uh, the New York Red Bulls too? Like, do do they care about that, or are they just going out to, to see a soccer game with four thousand other people? I don't know the answer to that question. I would care a little bit. I would like to I, see my yeah. team play a game that seemingly has more stakes. But I don't think we know that. And eventually, when MLSX Pro grows, which it doesn't seem like it's going to stop anytime soon, the games that you're playing against those reserve teams are going to be fewer and further between, and the lines are going to get blurrier and blurrier between the quality of the product of what you're watching and even the league and all of those other you know d- dividing, dividing kind of factors. They're going to be real blurry real quick.
1: I think, Joe, ultimately, the thing that I felt when USL League One had... Independent teams, but then also had MLS reserve teams, uh, which they would never let them be called, even though they clearly were. But, you know, whatever branding um, is just that fundamentally, those teams, those MLS teams don't really care if they win the league. That's not their goal. It, it, their goal for the players is to make the senior team. It's to improve their standing such that they make that jump that they get called up to the senior team. It's to develop players. And so if they win, great if they win playing the system that they want, even better. But I don't think that is the the stated objective, the goal of some of these teams is to win the top spot, to win the championship. I think it's to have a ground to develop players and maybe make a little bit of money, but that even feels unlikely. Whereas I think independent franchises, unless they're just trying to stay alive, are trying to win the title. And it, And so right there, I think... Speaking as a fan, I always was annoyed by those games against the MLS reserve teams because it just felt like they don't care if they win or lose. They want to win. It's always fun to win. But ultimately, it's like, oh, we lost. Oh, well, Oh, we're bottom of the table. Oh, well, like we're all just trying to make it to the next level. Whereas if the kickers are bottom of the table, it it does hit more, I think, for the players. I think it hits more for the fan base. There is a more vested interest there in my mind. So I, I think that's where some of my feelings are coming from.
2: All right, Derek, thank you very much for that question. We'll be back after the break when we're talking about NFL franchises and
1: Saudi Arabia. Fun, back shortly.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes
1: and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more.
2: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. We go now to James Pearson, who asks, which European soccer coach would you choose to lead your NFL franchise? And why in a reverse Ted Lasso of sorts? Okay, uh, Taylor, I'm going to go first with the Carolina Panthers. I
1: I feel like we're all going to have similar answers, but go ahead.
2: I don't know about that. I don't know see what i've got here we'll see i'm i'm interested to see who graham's nfl team is when we get there but uh i'll, I'll start off with the panthers uh, i've got three nominees here for the coaches i would have one is alan pardew simply for the case that he simply wore a carolina panthers beanie once at crystal palace training back in the day and i remember it pepperidge farm remembers <laughs> uh number two big sam
3: because yes, i think he's uh, top my list
2: Come in come in when this team is inevitably 0-7 to get a winning season. That is exactly what Big Sam is going to do for a team like the Panthers. Also, my, my number one for a European soccer coach, not technically European, but who works in Europe, Maurizio Pochettino. Experience playing with a team in blue and experience with a meddling billionaire owner. He's the man. He's got the grounding for it. Very good. Very good. Taylor, what you got?
1: I'm going Julian Nagelsmann. Uh, I think of a Josh McDaniel type for the Miami Dolphins, a young nerdy tactician who doesn't seem like he should inspire loyalty, but somehow does, even though he is like incredibly dry and and but somewhat silly. So it balances out. I feel like Nagelsmann has a lot of those qualities. I think Julian Nagelsmann to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Because a lot of the fan base would just be, I think, mystified by a German managing an NFL team, as would we all. But (laughs) but I think that would be really fun. And I think Julian Nagelman has talked a lot about how he has a strong enthusiasm for American football, how he likes the idea of individual plays really mattering. And if you're running back and you have three bad runs, you might not play again that season. And so he feels like some of the the ruthlessness and the competition of the NFL combined with the specific play calling and and how everybody has to be pulling in the same direction and on the same page. All of that feels like he has got the appreciation for American football to, ha- to have a go and make it happen. And then I think he's like young, he's hip, he can longboard around, people will be into it. I think he'll be a success in the NFL.
2: I, I can't see him, Taylor, wearing one of those military appreciation hoodies in uh, in sort of December time.
1: It, it would be fun to, to watch.
2: It'd be like a tight jacket, and he'd get, he'd get a custom one made. He'd get Taylor Swift's uh, custom jacket made of some sorts, wouldn't he?
1: He probably would. Yeah. <laughs> and that sounds about... As long as it's official NFL apparel, I think he's fine, because you, that's yeah. a rule for some reason. Yeah, wonderful. Branding.
2: Great. Um, I think the question was your NFL franchise. Are you implying you're an Al Jacksonville fan, Taylor?
1: No, I just, you know, like, it just feels like a thing that Washington would actually maybe try to do. At least past <laughs> Washington uh, ownership might try to do. I don't know what... I don't know if I would subject commanders fans uh which is what i suppose we have to call ourselves uh to to any more tinkering or tampering let, let's just let them have a little bit of a healing process so maybe maybe like cleveland let, let's sure. let's send julian Nagelsmann to cleveland how about that or maybe the bills the bills are going to need a new head coach i think so he can go manage buffalo and see what happens
2: wonderful stuff uh commanders fans c- Commandiers, is that going to stick
1: Uh, I hope that name doesn't (laughs) stick. They should have changed the name. They shouldn't have changed the name to The Commanders. I hope they change it to something else in the near future.
2: All right, Joe, where are you going with this one?
0: Yeah, so I, I just enjoy Graham typing and looking up NFL teams midway through this question. Um, I also misread the question. Maybe Graham did. I'm not sure. I didn't know we were supposed to connect these two particular teams. So I'm just connecting all these to the Arizona Cardinals because they are my team. And I, I think a new coach probably wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. So also having better players. And I don't think Kyler Murray can win a Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. There are many problems. But my list, uh, I'm counting Chris Armas. As a European soccer coach, that's former Manchester United assistant Chris Armas. Thank you very much. Uh, and he's on my list mostly just because I feel like he is the exact same body type, Taylor, as Maurice Jones drew. I don't know if you can envision it. I believe Chris Armas is five foot seven. He's got the same, like, either, either tight buzz yeah, or like full that. bald head. Like it just works for me. So I want Chris Armas involved in the NFL. It feels right and who knows, maybe that's his ultimate calling if soccer doesn't work out. Uh, I also have Jurgen Klopp on my list. I feel like you're just list. trying to get
1: him out of MLS, Joe. Ah, I see you what know, you're whatever, doing. I
0: I have nothing against Chris Armas. Um Jurgen Klopp is on my list. Seems like the right intensity level for the yeah. NFL like it, it, this is obvious. Yeah, I mean it's it's just gonna work. Cat wearer like, as well, which is mm, unusual yes, in yes. English Cat football. And hoodie. Yeah, this fits though. the sideline apparel situation. Jurgen Klopp <laughs> also like Germany has a big NFL presence, and Taylor, you yeah. and, and Manuel Vay talked about that on our show a, a couple months ago, and that was a really enjoyable yeah. chat. I didn't I didn't know too much about that stuff, so I feel like it fits. And then my last answer, also not a European, but I'm counting it: Peter Vermees. Uh, it just feels right, like, doesn't it? I just, I just feel like Peter Vermees should actually be an NFL coach and somehow he's just in the wrong sport and has been all along. Uh, at least like a defensive coordinator or like defensive line coach, Peter Vermees, something about it feels right to me. I think it's, is it like the
1: semi-flat top that makes it seem like he could coach in any sport? Because I could absolutely yeah, see yes. him with like the baseball uniform mm-hmm. out, coming out to like go chest to chest with the umpire and screaming at him. Lacrosse. I could see him coming onto the court to yell at an <laughs> NBA ref. I really think he could go all over the place. Graham, was that?
0: Yeah, go. Graham's just naming sports pickleball. I thought yeah. you were doing a Bruce Arena <laughs> lacrosse thing and there there then go. you just kept going. Yeah, I like it. I could see Peter Vermees in like a, a 90s Indiana Hoosiers like uh, the sideline. Yeah, right? I don't, yeah. Something about it feels right to me.
1: I mean, throwing right. a chair onto the court. Yeah, all all of this feels like Peter Vermeer's things. Yeah. Graham, are you yeah, loving you this episode? Too. I, love
0: that. I, I think Graham is loving this episode. Graham said like one thing in the last 40 minutes because we keep doing <laughs> yeah. deep
1: cut American sports. <laughs> My references. favorite was when Graham and Ryan just had absolutely, mostly Graham had, had a completely blank face as to who Kyler Murray was and if that was a real human being, which yes. I still think Graham is not entirely sure. Kyler
0: Murray real may be coming up on our USL real or fake quiz on the Patreon later on today. He's not, but, you know, that he could be
2: plays plays the American football, Graham, just as a clue there. Uh, also, yeah, Graham, your, your thoughts on this one? NFL is the one where the, you don't use your feet, but they call it football. It's that right?
0: One. Okay, yeah. yeah. Kind of it's a little kicking. Yeah. Tyler Bass doesn't
3: um, So I, I watched uh, the divisional games over the weekend. Don't, don't really know any of the players other than uh, Travis Kelsey Travis and the Kelsey, quarterbacks. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I had a reasonably good time. Not as good a time as Jason Kelsey, of course, but I enjoyed myself. If I had to pick a European soccer coach, it has to be Big Sam. Because surely, if like my logic is, if Ted, if the Ted Lasso joke is putting the most overtly stereotypical American sports guy in English football, if it's a reverse Ted Lasso, then it has to be the most English football guy, a proper football man, and that is Big Sam. Unless I have to pick an active coach, and then I'll go with uh, Sean Deich. But a lot of plastic pitches in the NFL, I don't know if there's many worms come through them. But um, yeah, Big Sam. Or Roy Keane. Roy Keane is actually a huge NFL fan. So Roy Keane takes two weeks out of the of of his Sky Sports duties to go to the 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 conference finals or whatever they're called, and then the Super Bowl. What? Uh, And the divisional he goes to a divisional game as well. So he went. He was at San Francisco at the weekend there uh if wow. you check his instagram yeah I didn't know so that. just purely on the fact that he might actually know something about this sport i'm not convinced he's a good manager but he how might actually be able to put together a play
1: how is that on brand and off brand simultaneously for him i don't like because there's aspects of that that make total sense and then it's also like the the commercial side has to annoy him how many yeah. breaks there are like I, I don't know i it feels like a thing he would hate but then also feels like a thing he would
3: love I think he probably enjoys the violence, but the oh, commercialism yeah. and I don't know like the Americana around it surprises me that he's he's into it. Yeah, but he loves it. He he was pictured as well at um Tottenham Stadium when there was a the when the NFL London game was there and a fan comes up to, to uh did you see this? Anyone see this on social media? A fan comes up to ask him for a picture and he tells them basically to go away yeah, because he's yeah. watching the I've yeah. seen that.
2: Uh, actually, if you zoomed out at the Bills Stadium, uh, the the executive box next to the Kelsey one was Roy Keynes. He had his shirt off as well. They just didn't show that on the US broadcast. <laughs> it was less interesting for them, Funny enough. Uh, I think he'd be better suited Graham than Big Sam, who might, with his Route one hoof it tendencies, might just uh, kick it downfield from first down every time, see what happens.
1: Don't forget that I believe Ted Lasso won like their conference championship or the division two national championship or something with his team before he made that yeah, jump. That's big right. Sam won anything. I don't know if anyone's coming over as a champion to manage an NFL. He won my heart.
2: Yeah. <laughs> hearts and minds, hearts and minds of the people, Taylor. That's also, sorry,
0: sorry, before we leave this one, cause I know we need to, uh, am I wrong or is the classic British nineties version of soccer? the same thing as just run the ball up to gut every time. Like, I'm yeah. thinking Big Sam wouldn't just kick it long every time. Instead, you do actually the, the least efficient, shortest thing where you run, like, a full back draw every single time down the field. That feels like the parallel in a weird way.
1: Uh, since yeah. no one else is going to understand what you just said, Joe, yes, I, I agree with you. I think that is exactly... I feel like maybe Big Sam has some, like... He's a more amicable Bill Belichick in that I feel like it's just going to be very pragmatic. Hmm. Uh yeah. Like ground what and pound, sort of uh, style football. I think he's Who's a new patriot in the NFL. I think. Oh, oh, I don't know. Oof.
0: Probably what like was the question? I don't know
3: much about NFL <laughs> or the Patriots, but that Bolton Wanderers, New England Patriots feels like, I know they've not been so good recently, but it feels like a weird fit. Like the, <laughs> I would have said the Lions, but they're, they're good now, the are Bears.
1: Yeah. The Bears are probably the Bolton one. I'm sorry, Chicago. God, it's two shows in a row. Taylor hates taking, Chicago. Taking, Taylor I ducked Chicago over Chicago yesterday, yesterday and he's bad.
0: back again today. Look,
1: this is a person who had the Chicago Bears running back committee on all three of them on his fantasy team because he never knew who to start and he feels massive sympathy for Chicago fans because that's just their existence week in week out wonderful stuff
2: all right thank you very much james for that question we take a quick break
1: now when we come back we're talking saudi league and much more back shortly hey folks this is taylor from the total soccer show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early there are teams that will leave that business very late and there are teams that will operate in between but no matter what it's going to be a chaotic situation there's going to be
2: Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. Richard Rolson has been in touch. Hello, Richard. Is the Saudi experiment already coming to an end? Graham, we're seeing uh, uh, continually players, big-name players, uh, making their exits from Saudi Arabia at the moment. We're seeing small crowds there. It's interesting we're seeing, well, I'm seeing anecdotally sort of oversaturation of the Saudi sports market in general. They have a lot of options at the moment. We've got a couple of Super Cups being played there. with the Club World Cup. It seems like maybe they've sat oversaturated a little too quickly, perhaps. There's, there's a lot to get into here. Maybe it's mm. hasty to say it's coming to an end, but is it maybe not as yeah. sustainable as we may have thought even four or five months ago?
3: So first of all, I, I don't think it's coming to an end. I do think there will be a little bit of recalibration. And the crowds is an interesting discussion point, Ryan, because some of the teams that have made big signings, Al Etifak, are top of this list, are just not drawing any fans. So that's the team managed by Steven Gerrard. Jordan Henderson played for them, apparently, for a few months, and now he's back in Europe with Ajax. They are regularly drawing home crowds in the hundreds, which is smaller crowds than Sterling Albion get for our games, and I can assure you we're not paying the money uh, to our players that they're paying to their players. So what I think will happen is... There will be uh, a lot of the big signings will end up going to the the PIF, the Public Investment Fund clubs, maybe some private investors involved in other clubs as well, and it will become a little bit more top-heavy, like most leagues, because so far it's sort of been like an even spread, or they've attempted to make it an even spread across the league. I don't think that is sustainable. I do appreciate it's not a great look for a lot of the star players to be unhappy and leaving to go back to Europe. So I mentioned Jordan Henderson. It really seems like this is the... It's been a quiet January window so far, but it feels like the biggest move we're going to get is Karim Benzema. It feels like he's coming back to Europe. Leon are trying really hard to... Get him, obviously, one of his former clubs. They are facing relegation. I would stay away from Leon if I was Karim Benzema. But he's been linked with Chelsea as well, Arsenal. So he wants to come back. Apparently, he's unsettled. I don't know if anyone caught Aymeric Laporte's comments in an interview as well. They were pretty... He hates traffic. He complained that while the clubs uh, pay big salaries, they don't take uh, care of their players. He said that many players feel this way and are unhappy. Um, I didn't see them in the quotes, but I presume he's unhappy. There's no Nandos in Saudi Arabia as well. I would be unhappy about that. I would too. too, Um, Football players love Nandos. But yeah, it feels like there will be a recalibration. There haven't been many transfers in the Saudi Pro League so far this month. But I remember reading several articles in December saying that was expected and January was never going to be a big focus for the Saudi clubs. Instead, they'll focus on the end of the season when they can get players at the end of their contract, which of course was a a big thing last summer. However, it does feel like some of the players leaving has pushed them into acting and it seems like Miguel Almiron might be going there, Alvaro Morata is a target, so is Aaron Wan-Bissaka. So no, I don't think the Saudi Pro League boom is over. That, That $5 billion that apparently has been allocated to the league by the, pub- the public investment fund, is still there. Saudi Arabia is still going to get the 2034 World Cup, which will give them something to build up to. And that's such a, a big part of their strategy. And I also just don't have faith that any of the kind of Henderson's or Benzema's or, or Laporte's experiences will influence player decisions when a big pile of cash is put in front of them. And I think that cash is still going to be in place for the next few years. So I am interested to see how the strategy changes. And it will change. But I think the Saudi Pro League is still a big threat to a lot of the big five European leagues.
1: Yeah, I, I I largely agree with Graham. I think my answer to this was, no, the experiment is not coming to an end, but also it kind of maybe is. I mean, they're going to get the World Cup in 2034, so it's tough to say Saudi's involvement in football, in global football is going to fade anytime soon. But I do think, and I'll like hold my hands up here and say, I expected them to be much more like ruthless and efficient in bringing in these players, making it a really good league incentivizing competition, incentivizing like good play. And that it would be a very good league very quickly that I think would continue to bring in talent, but also generate interest and, and get eyes on it. And people would be fascinated by it. And it really does not seem like that is what is the case. I feel like reading between the lines from a lot of these players and what they've said, I, it does seem like more of a, like a, a thing to distract it. It's a, it's a, It's a tourist thing. I'm like, yeah, we've got this league with all these players. Go see it if you want to. Tickets are a $1,000. Like, It's not something that I think is easily accessible, but I also do feel like it's more of a a play thing at this point. And so the frustration I feel like I'm hearing from some of these players is basically that they understood what they were doing. They understood they were taking money to go to a developing league or a league that is just starting out. But I think there was an expectation that there would be Genuine competition, genuine effort that teams would really be pushing forward and that you'd get this sort of really interesting league where you've got a lot of top tier talent and interesting coaches with domestic players behind them. And it doesn't seem like that has been the case for some of these teams. It feels like it's more of a like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. We're all going to get paid. It's fine. And I think that is what some players decidedly don't want and are bored of. So that's been really interesting to me that it hasn't been as competitive and compelling to the Saudi populace and to, uh, like, the larger world, I really did think it was going to be a, like, sleek sort of really money driven, but also money drives a lot of things entity. And it feels a bit more inefficient at this point. Maybe that will change, uh, a- a- as they go and as we get closer to 2034. But right now I am a little bit surprised by how many of these players have returned and how many of these players weren't living in Saudi Arabia to begin with. That was another interesting wrinkle in reading about this one that a lot of them are living in Bahrain, which has more, more liberal policies. I wouldn't say liberal policies, but more liberal compared to Saudi Arabia. And then they're driving 45 minutes to an hour to an hour and a half to get to training and get to games. It just feels like a much more disconnected existence than I was expecting these players to have.
2: Yeah, I think that's totally true. This—that's this, one of two factors that seems to be problematic at the moment, certainly for the growth of the league. Taylor, that that lifestyle element, which Emerit um, Laporte mentioned, and it seems that other players are having difficulty with living in Bahrain, where, as you say, it's a it's under sort of different culture and uh, and more liberal. Uh, but it's 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 sitting in traffic for three hours a day, as Emerit Laporte says, and it's not quite the lifestyle they would have expected to be living in Saudi at this point, point. and also. The crowds as well um i don't think they would be expected to be playing in front of hundreds of people at this point saudi arabia a 35 million population so that's three million less than california traditionally about 50 percent of that population traditionally not allowed to even go to games and enjoy themselves in that manner which is changing a little bit but still uh, has a cultural impact as well so it's these these seem to be the roadblocks that certainly players have faced coming over and teams are facing but as graham says with the build-up to the world cup it does certainly feel more sustainable than, say, a Chinese Super League. It doesn't feel like it's going to implode in any way, certainly. Yeah.
1: I, well, I think the money, in in my opinion, and this is my opinion, like the money is going to continue to be there. And so I think there is an element of the money is going to be here. We're going to keep getting paid. It doesn't really matter if we win. It doesn't really matter, matter how many people are in the seats because there's so much money. Everyone's going to continue to get paid. I don't know how much competition is going to drive it. I don't know how much attendance is actually going to improve. And so I think what you end up getting is a sort of like, Nothing really matters like ah, it's cool. We're kicking around. We're having a good time. Sometimes a player will be up for it. And and then maybe it will be an interesting game. But it doesn't feel like you're going to get teams establishing an identity and really pushing to get results because it will get people into the stands and it will get that club more money. If everyone's going to have a ton of money at the end of the day, I think not a lot really matters on the pitch right now. And that is I'm going to guess not a thing that was expected by a lot of these players coming in.
3: Cristiano Ronaldo's having a good time though. So
1: until so he doesn't play, that. and then Chinese fans mob his hotel. That happened today.
3: <laughs> Did it really?
1: Yeah, okay. he. I think they like a. Bu- it was like 300 Chinese tourists showed up to watch Ronaldo, and then it turned out he was out with injury. So they like stormed his hotel out of protest, I guess, or to I guess verify if the injury was real. Who knows? Wow. Taylor hates it when folks storm buildings like
2: that, doesn't
0: he? Anyway, uh, Joe, any more to uh, to add to this uh, conversation? I'm just struggling to find sympathy for Emmerich Laporte. Like, sorry, right. their club <laughs> isn't taking care of you. You're making a bajillion dollars a week. Like, you can probably make some of those changes, I think, on your own to enhance your own living experience. I am. I, I don't have any time for that from Emmerich Laporte. But I, I, I also just think, yeah, go ahead, Graham. I was just going to say I totally
3: agree with you, Joe, but
0: that is maybe
3: where the investment of this is, my own, I'm editorializing a little bit here and joining dots. I haven't read any reporting on this, but that's maybe where the Saudi investment hasn't stretched to yes, yet. Agreed. They're paying the they're paying these players massive salaries. But I, merrick Laporte is talking about coming from Manchester City, yeah. where I it's assume he is taken way. care of, yep. and they send chefs to their house and everything. And he's moved to Saudi Arabia, and none of that infrastructure or ecosystem exists. That might be, need to be the next step for those clubs.
0: Yep. No, I, I I completely agree with that, Graham. I think building out the infrastructure is absolutely the next step for Saudi Arabia in, in many different ways and forms. The only other thing I'll say is it's just too early. Like, I, I don't think any of this is surprising. I think there was always going to be this massive exodus of players, specifically from Europe, some from South America, North America, and other parts of the world that went to Saudi Arabia because they wanted to get paid. And there were always going to be some of them that just didn't like it, that decided the money wasn't worth it for them to be there because either it's not good for their family, they miss the competitive aspect of soccer that you don't get. Like, there was always going to be somewhere between 1% and 5% of these players that were just like, nope, not for me, I'm gone. And we're probably seeing something in that range when it comes to Karim Benzema likely going back to Europe or Jordan Henderson already going to Ajax. So I think everything is pretty much still going according to plan. But this is a reminder that there are cracks in this plan. Like Saudi, It's not guaranteed that Saudi Arabia is going to become a global powerhouse in soccer. Uh, they just happen to have a head start over most countries that don't currently have that or aren't currently a powerhouse because they're willing to spend a bajillion dollars to make it happen indeed uh richard thank
2: you very much for that question uh one final one for this episode from shreyas romani hello stress what's going on with the mls referee strike and how bad does this look for the league now the professional soccer referees association voted to authorize a strike uh it said in a statement on monday that means joe it's Probable that the MLS season, which will kick off on twenty-first of February, will begin with replacement officials as things stand. Now, Joe, I- I'm glad you're sitting down on a dog or otherwise comfortably because I have to inform you I did some journalism. Contact- <gasps> contacted the uh, PRO, the Professional Referees Organization, who say that negotiations are ongoing and they're not commenting at this time. <laughs> so, uh, Can I also
1: add one? They
3: said, "Who are you?" <laughs> Can I add one clarification
1: in there? I believe they they voted to authorize a potential strike, so yeah. they basically. Pre-voted in case that they've extended the the negotiations until the end of January. Yep. And if they don't reach an agreement at the end of January, yep. then there is the uh, ability to strike has already been voted on so they can automatically strike there. But it sounds like this is all very much still negotiation tactics yeah. as a way I- to say, like, you don't want us to strike, do you? Well, we've got another two weeks to figure this out.
3: Yeah, right, and you said it was probable, and I read that as well. I'll put my neck on the line here and say that this the strike won't affect the opening weekend of the hmm. season. I think it'll be resolved We've, for two reasons. We've seen this before with player CBA negotiations in the past and threats, so threats of lockouts, and there's almost always an, an agreement. The second reason is I've seen this before. About 10 years ago, there was a referee strike in Scotland. They actually did go on strike, and the plan was to draft in replacements from around the world. And a lot of them actually did arrive for a round of fixtures, but once they realised they were they were basically in being scabs, they were in, in Scotland. Yeah, they they refused to officiate. So I can't see where MLS would get replacements from. From what I know about officials, it, it's quite a kind of collegiate group of of people, and so I don't see any being willing to cross the picket line. Certainly not enough to complete a full card of MLS fixtures, which, as we know, is about 300 matches in an average MLS <laughs> yeah. we, get. Well, I, we got four of us. That's, that's, that's a start. Yeah, we're, <laughs> we we're already it. one crew, minus a few. Well, you can cross the picket
0: line if you want. <laughs> the uh, uh, Grim, I don't... Is that what they taught you at uh, the Jordan Belfort Academy? Indeed. Grim, to be honest, like I, I don't know... I have no idea if you're right or not. I would not be surprised if MLS goes out and tries to round up some refs from the Caribbean and from Central America... And does play a week or two with replacement referees. They've done this before as well. I believe there was a refereeing strike and lockout back in 2014 in Major League Soccer. So this is not completely foreign ground. I want to set the, the foundation very, very quickly for this question and who the different parties are. So there's the Professional Soccer Referees Association. That is the labor union representing professional refs in North America and Canada, right? So in, in, uh, in the United States and Canada, I believe. Like, they have voted, as we've said, to authorize a potential strike if it hit January 31st and there's not a new deal negotiated between the Professional Soccer Referees Association and Pro, who Ryan con- – Ryan, which one did you contact, the union or the I, – I got confused – he pro and pro. management.
3: Okay, pro the you, PGMOl. Yes,
0: the PGMOl. There are yeah. lots of acronyms in this situation. I, I contacted the PGA and I got really confused when they didn't know what I was talking about. golf. Question mark. <laughs> there, there is also the pro, the professional referees organization, and they are primarily funded by Major League Soccer, and they govern like how much these referees get paid and all that stuff, right? So. This is the negotiation. The actual referees in the union want a major increase in what they're making on a on a yearly basis, a per-match basis. It sounds like, according to reports, and Tom Bogert and Pablo Mauer have been all over this story, it sounds like they want a 90% pay scale increase, especially for the fourth official and the assistant referees. And Pro is offering like a 3% increase. So we are seeing negotiations happen now. It's unfortunate for the referees in some ways that this has been made public, but they also want that. They want to be pressured. They want the organization to be pressured into paying them more money. This is just the negotiating process. Are we going to see a strike? I think it's very possible. Is this going to end up impacting the regular season in Major League Soccer, which starts in just about a month? I I'm not sure yet. I don't think enough dominoes have fallen to make an accurate forecast on that front, but it does certainly seem like both sides are fairly far apart as things stand right now. I think they've said they've come closer, but still are like... Noticeably far apart
1: at time of recording. Uh, And yeah, Joe, when they did the past one in 2014, I think they used replacement refs, I'm assuming because it's the professional uh, soccer referees association, I'm guessing they hired amateurs to do the officiating. And I know that that led to according to the PSRA. Like a skyrocketing number of uh, incorrect calls, maybe MLS would bank on VAR can correct that this time around, so they have less concern. Although I would assume VAR is also part, like VAR officials are also part of that union, so it gets really tricky really quickly. Uh, as to the like the second part of that question, I don't really think it's that bad of a look for the league because I don't feel like it's MLS is is doing something. That other leagues don't. I think it's just labor negotiations and they have an organization in PRO that basically functions as management. And then you have PSRA, which is the, the union. It's the workers. And those two are sort of hammering out a deal. MLS is certainly not wanting to overpay or pay more than they have to uh, because they are the ones primarily footing the bill uh but i i think that even if it does end up being a strike i think they'll bring in amateurs and and i think you'll try to have the best possible amateurs for that Inter-Miami opener uh but i yeah. still think it won't be as
3: noticeable as a, of a disruption
1: as it might seem like it will be
3: I was going to say, Taylor, I'm sure Lionel Messi will be very happy about those amateur oh, yeah. officials. He'll yeah. be asking, where's the free kick uh, to be taken? Just quick, a selfie just before you <laughs> take this free kick. <laughs> yeah. And if you just sign this bottom arm here them. as well, that's they're great. They, <laughs> they all get <laughs> one selfie with Messi. Selfie that's with Messi. payment for the game.
2: Ivan Tony would like that. He'd be like, give me the uh, the spray foam. I'm going to mark this one out. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, Taylor, it, it seems like this kind of negotiation is like in the fabric of American society, like government shutdowns. There's several threats of them per year. And I, I don't know, Graham. It doesn't feel like that happens. Well, in, in I, I as think much. you're I think
1: that's that's a false equivalency because yeah, government so shutdowns was, are very different than labor labor organizations wanting. But more it's money like,
2: in I mean, in terms rates. of sort of negotiations that go down to the wire, and like if this if X doesn't happen, then why why hap, happens? It's it feels like so
1: Didn't Brexit I get voted on like four hundred times and get kicked down the road, and and you guys didn't leave, and then did leave, and they didn't leave, and they did leave again, but then still haven't kind of. La- I feel like I feel like that happens a lot with government. I think things yeah, get so decided last, upon last minute.
3: The last year in the UK has been strike-a-go-go with, like, rail strikes. and It does sound fun. It's not that fun. Uh, School strikes, everything has been on strike in the the last year in the UK. So I would disagree on just a general societal point. But in terms of sport, um, it does does feel like player CBA negotiations. I can't really recall anything like that happening in certainly British football. I know I mentioned a referee strike, but that was because of abuse, actually, rather than any kind of pay issues. So uh, yeah, I don't know whether I'm just not aware of that happening in European soccer. I'm sure there are It must happen in France, Graham, like the French do, course, do love yeah, a strike. It's part yeah. of their
1: culture. <laughs> I, per, perhaps I am wrong. I often am. I, I think that a lot of it has to do with the fact that like the United States fundamentally from its outset is based on a free market economy, but that doesn't always and rarely, I would argue, uh, does that protect the worker. And so I think that you have to have Workers organizing to be a larger unit to then affect necessary change. And you've seen that with, with coal mines, with uh, automobile manufacturing, and you've seen it in sport as well and many other industries. You have to have that union. Then just sometimes the union oversteps or has, um, Illegal connections, maybe, is a way to put that one. See the movie The Irishman. Uh, but but I, I think largely it's 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 the way that American workers have found to be able to affect change and make sure that their rights and compensation are protected. Uh, and then sometimes that leads to to negative situations. I feel like England, maybe I don't know if it's because you all have like a monarchy from the outset or because maybe there are just more provisions in place that I'm less familiar with. It does feel like that's less of a thing. Well,
2: unionization is more common, I'd Mm -hmm. say, in the UK for sure. But as you Um, said,
1: you don't have as many strikes and protests and... I
3: would disagree okay. with that. I think there are just as many strikes. But sports-wise, there are. Yeah. there's definitely a difference there, Maybe I think, so. in sport. Uh,
2: Striker Go-Go, by the way. Wonderful 11th birthday party I had there. Well, one of my favourite bowling alleys, I'll say. We'll <laughs> leave it there. Uh, Shreyas, <laughs> thank you very much indeed for your question. Thank you for everybody's questions. TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions once again if you would like to pose one to the gang. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, excellent answering of questions as usual. Thank you very much. Thank you, my friend. Thank you very much, Mr. Graham Rutherford. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. And
0: Joe Lowry, thank you. I've just learned that Tyler Adams is a dad. Congrats, Tyler Adams. Hey. Well done. Thanks, Congrats,
2: Ryan. Congrats, Tyler Adams. Thank you very much for that uh, tidbit of info. And thank you, listener, for joining us on the feed. We'll be back very shortly, but for now. Bye. <laughs>